Hello, uh, my name is Monica, and before we get into this week's episode, I just wanted to make a few little announcements. Um, this episode was originally supposed to come out a couple days ago. Um, my dog ended up getting attacked by another dog and sustained a fracture. Fortunately, she's at home resting comfortably now with me, and we have a bit of a long recovery to to go through. The other little announcement that I wanted to make was that this episode was recorded outside in a park so there is some background noise um thank you to everyone that's been listening to these episodes i have been working on improving the audio so that there isn't as much background noise and i believe that this one should be the last one where there is more obvious background noise um working on it appreciate everyone's patience and working with me with this um so yeah i'm not going to take up too much more time and we'll just get started with the episode and where you guys get to meet candace all right hello and welcome to cafe with strangers uh before i get started i don't know if you can hear that in the background but we are doing a first we're out in a park and i'm really excited i'll go ahead and let you just kind of tell your background a little bit what you're comfortable seeking hi um my name is candace um this is my first podcast interview ever um, so a little bit about me before we get started. Um, I grew up in California. I grew up in the greater LA area. Um, after that, I lived in Oregon. I went there to number school. And then um, after that, after I graduated, I came here to the Seattle area, uh, which is where I live now and where I met you. <laughs> so, and voila. And here we are. And well, no wonder you were asking me about California. Stuff yeah. Like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the Bay Area. I love it there. You are half Mexican and then half Filipino. That's correct. Yeah. Uh, how was that growing up as a kid, having both cultures kind of clash? If you had both cultures clash in your in your in your home? Yeah. Um. I feel like being mixed. Um. Where I grew up, it was mostly um, other. Latino people. So I mostly grew up around like other Mexicans. So I was usually the only person who was not fooled. So that was, I would say it was like an interesting experience for me because, um, so I don't, I didn't grow up with a lot of Mexican culture. Mm -hmm. I grew up with more Filipino culture. So growing up as a kid, I always kind of felt, um, like I didn't fit in in some ways um I always felt like I had some sort of like identity crisis you know um and just not being able to relate with people in um as far as like culture and like language sometimes food Um, but I think you know being Mexican and Filipino I think it's it was also really interesting because of how similar they are the cultures are I was just about to write in similarities what are the similarities exactly yeah so you know both countries were colonized by Spain so there's influence in both um right like there are some words that sound similar and like some of my friends growing up when they would come over they would be like oh I know what your your grandparents are talking about because some of the words sound like Spanish or like um, other like they're also both really big on like Catholic Catholicism. Yes. <laughs> so um, a lot of those experiences were similar. Um, Filipinos also make foods that are similar to like Mexican cuisine. Like um, Filipinos have their version of menudo and tamales. Really? Yeah, it's interesting, right? What are those? 
I actually don't know. <laughs> you just know they exist. Yeah, okay. the tamales, the Filipino tamales are sweeter. They're like a sweet version. Okay. And then we also have a flan. Really? Yeah, I don't know too much of the differences. <laughs> I'm gonna just say this: that those of you who know me and just heard the word flan, you're welcome. <laughs> you know, if you know, you know. Oh, please, please um, explain. Elaborate. Yeah. So, uh, I make a flan. Okay. And it is my family's recipe. I do not give out that recipe. It is anyone that says that they don't like flan. I make it. They try it. They're obsessed. Yes, <laughs> my flan is that good. Oh, okay. um, but it's also because it's done a little bit differently. I actually made ube flan. Ooh. Yes, I tried it for the first time, uh, and it turned out great. Oh. Turned out God. fucking great. It's delicious. I I am gonna have to try that because I love ube. Do you feel like not that many people know what ube is coming up here? Yeah, I yeah. do. Uh-huh. Okay. Because that's, I didn't realize how big the, like the Bay Area, and like SoCal has a lot mm-hmm. of food. Mm-hmm. So I got used to the Bay Area food and the variety of it. And so coming up here, and I mentioned ube, everyone was like, ube what? What's that? And I was like, you, you haven't tried ube? I was like, why it's is fucking it so delicious. purple? <laughs> exactly, yeah. why is it so purple? Like, and, and then they try it after they have that hesitation. Um, and their lives are changed. How and would you describe the flavor? Somebody asked me that, and oh. I was like, I don't know. I feel like it'd have to be like, it has to be sitting in my mouth for me to explain it. But do you think you can do that? No. <laughs> I couldn't either. It's like, it's good. It's, yeah, because it's not really strong, <laughs> but it kind of is. Like, it's kind of mild, but it's also like, you can always tell when it's there. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, oh God. I can't describe it other than, it's good. Yeah, you just have to know. <laughs> you know, you know. If you know, you know. Okay, anyways, that was like a whole tangent on on food. But yeah, mm-hmm. let's kind of backtrack a little bit before <laughs> sure. we start talking about ube. Anything that you want to mention about like kind of growing up again with like the cultures in your house and how that clashed? Um, Other than just feeling like an outsider in some areas I do feel like especially even now I feel like I do this too where like um I almost like other myself you know I think some okay yeah like in in my experiences sometimes like if I'm around a group of like like you know like my Mexican friends I feel less Mexican in a way and like when I'm around Filipino people I feel more Mexican it's really weird um, but when I'm around white people <laughs> I feel very Mexican <laughs> so when I'm in California and I'm around other like generally around other Mexican people I feel like it's so different than like the Mexican culture here you know what I mean I feel like the Mexican culture up here maybe the experience is different um, but I feel like the Mexican culture here is a lot more like traditional so like you have purple hair and you have tattoos. I have tattoos also. Do you feel like, like when I'm home in California, I don't feel like I stand out as much. You know, like the, the alt Latina, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Do, do you feel like that has um, <clears throat> complicated your identity in some way? You know what I mean? Oh, is this why it feels when people ask you good questions? <laughs> um, 
it's a little bit hard to state that because I've been alt pretty much since I was like 15 years old. So I've always had some sort of double take at me because of the amount of black that I was wearing. And then when the I was, music you the music to. I was listening to when I was, um, when I had facial piercings as a teenager, and then I started getting tattoos right at 18. So I had a half sleeve almost at 18, at 19. So I feel like I was always looked at no matter what in that sense. And then, and then going back to California, I think as it became more and more popular, no, I guess it didn't affect, oh my God, I don't know if it ever affected me in that sense. Okay. Because I've always kind of felt like I was an outsider in one way or another, and now I just tend to fit in and look like the majority of the style that exists nowadays. Um, and then here, I feel like in some areas, my dog's with me and I'm just a little nervous that she's going to be a little butthead. <laughs> um, but I feel like sometimes here in some areas, yeah, I feel like I stand out. Like if I'm in Seattle, not so much in some areas, especially like super like um, queer friendly areas. Like, no, I feel like I'm just another tattooed pierced person. Mm -hmm. But when I'm some areas in Tacoma or just outside Seattle, yeah, I feel like I would get looked at, but it doesn't phase me because I it's always kind of happened. Mm -hmm. Like living in Idaho, I being that alternative like, kid full of a bunch of conservative religious people. Yeah. Does that answer the question? Because <laughs> I yeah, feel like I'm just your I'm, experience. Um. Yeah. That's a good question. What about you? Um. So like when I was growing up, yeah, it was really typical to meet other people who were similar to me and have like the same interests. But I think up here, um, like just when I'm like trying, like and you know, I'm. That's not like in any way to criticize like the Mexican community up here or anywhere at all. It's just like, um growing up here it was such a different experience um not being able to relate in a lot of the same ways that I was used to so like when I meet um you know like people here who are you know fully Mexican and you know things like that and I'm like oh yeah like I like rock music <laughs> I like um um 60s rock or you know whatever yeah. or I like this type of clothing style or you know I don't really listen to that kind of music it's kind of just like oh like I know people who are like that but they're white you know what I mean just very like <laughs> almost like backhand like you know what I mean like do a lot of people like refer to you as like oh I know what you just said oh uh what you're into I know people like that but they're white mm -hmm. do you get that a lot like but they're white here yes okay uh-huh interesting I I just thought of something um mm -hmm kind of back to the question that you had I have noticed how people here who lived here growing up how they're similar but different than let's say me and some people that I've interviewed like it's very it's different but it's similar oh god how do I how am I going with this it's different but it's similar yeah and it makes me wonder like what are like 
what are like other communities like in other areas you know what i mean is it yeah. just like a cultural like washington plus like all these other factors that make it so um easy or not as easy to be different you know what i mean i feel like there's a better way for me to phrase this but i'm not able to phrase this as well as i'd like to um but in just hearing other people speak the difference between them growing up here versus growing up in other areas i feel like the culture shock between someone from the bay area versus someone who grew up in a in like um, in washington we're more likely to get culture shock like being from la and stuff like mm -hmm. that too because we're used to that diversity around us and i think that's where i'm trying to go with this does that make sense yeah okay yeah and i think that's where i was trying to kind of uh -huh. <laughs> go in with what you were trying to say and stuff i think that's so interesting because where i grew up i felt like it was very um segregated mm. <laughs> um like so like where i grew up i grew up around almost all mexicans mm -hmm. you know but like if you were to go you know a few miles this way or that way then you'll find like pockets of um, other ethnic groups you know so like and and I'm wondering if like that's also like what defines my experience because I've never lived in until I moved to Oregon for school I'd never really lived around people who were first of all white <laughs> and also just like where like Mexican just was not the dominant um you know so like when I first went to Oregon, I was actually surprised because I was like, uh, I'm the only brown person in a lot of these rooms. And that's just something I never experienced before. How was that for you? Um, well, I think, well, that definitely gave me an identity crisis. <laughs> um, it was really interesting. Um, it was just really hard to relate at first just because, um, you know, like whenever you move anywhere, it's a culture shock, you know, like regardless of like who you are and like how you grew up you just don't know the lingo you don't know the style you don't know where to go like what's cool and what's not cool yeah. to do um and so like that was kind of like the biggest thing like when I moved to Oregon people were so friendly so friendly to the point where I was just like like are you confusing me with somebody else <laughs> because like where I grew up like if you were to like come to my face and be like hi how are you I'd be like are you trying to like are you trying to make me join a cult or something? Because that's not typical. You know? Yeah. So I think that was the biggest shock. Just like how um, open people were. Okay. Yeah. As you're saying this, part of me wonders maybe... Maybe it was just me being naive that I did Maybe there was segregation as I was growing up as a kid and I just never noticed it. Because it didn't affect me. And... Because I think, and if it didn't affect me, I think it's because of the color of my skin and the color of my family's skin. Because we're pretty, pretty light, light-skinned Latinos. So I think that's why I feel like I had also a different perspective. Is that I didn't have the same struggles that other people did until I got older. I have no idea where I went with that. I'm Do people mind. ever think you're light? Oh, all the fucking time. All like the time. How does that Max. make you feel? <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the interviewer becomes the interviewee. <laughs> uh, it, I actually, um, a little bit of the mini so that I did, the first mini so that I did, 
uh, talks about that. So I don't know if you saw like the all like the negative comments that were on that video that I posted. Um, basically, like the one where you responded to. So there's a lot of negative comments on that, and it was mostly people being like, "Don't use Latinx, a lot of this and that." In the beginning, before I said that I was Mexican, people were calling me white, and they were calling me colonizer too, and just going after my physical appearance and it it made me cry and eventually it, you know it did make me super emotional but then I realized it's just because they're saying things that I said to myself as a little kid because gr growing up once I started realizing that I looked different than my other some of my other cousins I'm gonna wait till that goes <laughs> okay um Growing up, I always wanted to look more Mexican, and now I still—it's still like in the back of my head where I—I I, I look at someone who obviously looks like they're Latin American, and I'm—I'm I'm just like, oh, like envious. But at the same time, there are people that I've been speaking to who wish they looked more white. Mm -hmm. And so it, no matter what I think, I, no matter what I would have looked like, I would have wanted the opposite. Yeah. And um, yeah, no, it, it bothered me when people called me that. But it's just mostly because I gave myself so much shit for it growing up that now it, it doesn't bother me if other people call me these things because I've... I've I'm already kind of accepting mm -hmm. how I am, who I look like, or like what I look like and everything like that. Um, does that make sense? Mm -hmm. Okay. I feel like my brain's like, whoa. <laughs> I think, oh, you know what it is too? I think because we're outside, You're so distracted. I'm a little more distracted. Uh -huh, me too. And um, my ADHD medication, it's, we switched over to a new one. And so it's at a little bit of a lower dose. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm still a little distracted. Mm -hmm where I find it hard to not pay attention. And it's also, besides it being slightly chilly, like it's really nice out. There's a little small, is it a pond? Lake? Yeah. It's a little lake. My dog, I'm keeping an eye on my dog so I don't want her to be a little butthead. I don't want her to start barking at little kids or anything like that. And yeah, but it's an experience. It's okay. Mm -hmm. Anyways, I'm going to go back to you and start talking about Let's go back to you. Okay. <laughs> this is about you, not me. <laughs> um, no, it's about us. It's about us. It's about a shared commonality. Mm -hmm. There we go. Um, but yeah, okay. So you said that you you mentioned Catholicism. Yes. You grew up in a Catholic household. I did. Mm -hmm. How was that for you? Um. Well, when I was a kid, I hated it because I thought catechism. I thought all of that was so boring. Um. And. Let's just be honest, like, <laughs> a Catholic, like, going to Mass is so boring. <laughs> like, um, yeah, so it was really boring for me, um, but I grew up mostly Catholic, and then as um, I got into, like, middle school, my parents started going to a Christian um, church, um, and that was a little more fun for me. Um, now I don't really go to, I don't really practice any religion. Um, I just kind of like, I like I like religious people. I love learning about like what other people believe and I love learning about religions and cultures and things like that. Um, 
but I nowadays I feel like I identify as spiritual. Um, I do have a Virgin Mary tattoo, <laughs> um, but that's not because I grew up Catholic. I just think that she's so pretty, and I feel like her image just um, is so like, especially like to Mexicans, you know, like the mother, you know, it's so yeah, it's like the holiest of holiest. Yeah, um, feminine. Divine. goddess energy yeah. Yeah, so. okay yeah I see that mm -hmm. I get that okay I was wondering what you meant but like I've taken some aspects of it and made it my own I was like where yeah. are we gonna go with this what do you mean by that I was just yeah. curious so that's kind of like what I mean is that like I did grow up Catholic nowadays um, I still like give a lot of respect and appreciation for everything I've learned um, from being Catholic and from growing up Catholic and things like that and just like for me like the image of the Virgin Mary, I don't really associate her with just being Catholic nowadays. Now I see her as just like this like mother who's very goddess-like. I think that's so interesting that you say that because when when it comes to like Catholicism, mm -hmm. when people think of the Virgin Mary, or I don't know, in my eyes, mm -hmm. the Virgin Mary is, is heavily... I feel like a lot of other... Maybe it's just because that's the main religion that I know of. But when I think of Catholicism, I think of the Virgin Mary. Mm -hmm. And when I think of the Virgin Mary, I think of that religion. Mm -hmm. Just like, because I feel like it's so prominent in it and yeah. how high up there it is. I don't know. Just because from I, what I'm aware of, like living in Idaho, um, Mormonism, from what I'm, I remember and I'm aware of, the Virgin Mary doesn't have that high of a standard in that okay. religion uh -huh. um it's more jesus which is really interesting now that i think about it just how religions are i don't know uh -huh. i i think it's really nice i think you have a very positive out, like a <laughs> view uh -huh. on religion and mm -hmm. i am trying to be more open-minded about mm -hmm. it because i i think it's just like the religious trauma and like how enforced it was on me that I have such a like oh, like negative um, feeling for it so I try to be I'm trying to be more open about it and try to hear from what other people sure. say but it's always been really hard because every single time religion was kind of talked about it was always talked about in a very enforced way uh -huh. and oppressive I don't know about it uh, oppressive just Oh, you're not religious? Why aren't you religious? Mm -hmm. You don't believe in God? Why don't you, you believe in God? Do you worship the You know, oh, especially the, the way yeah. that I ended up looking from a very young age. Like, I think that's why, oh my God, I'm just realizing this now. I think that's why I have such, I always had such a negative view and just shudder every single time mm -hmm. I think of religion. Um, so, wow. Yeah, I just learned something about myself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. I was going to ask you something, but go ahead. Um, another thing about the Virgin Mary, um, like another reason why I think she's so important to me, is also because, like, you know, during the Mexican Revolution, um, people were really, like, having her image everywhere. So, to me, another thing about the Virgin Mary is, like, just how connected she is to our culture. Mm -hmm. And so, like, seeing her as, like, kind of like this, the icon of like the revolution or whatever kind of also reminds me that like oh yeah like this person like she cares so much about me that like um she's gonna protect me i mm -hmm. guess and i will say also like 
for myself there was a lot of times in my life where I was like do I believe in God or do I not let you know but I think um after a while I, I had just so many experiences where I felt like I have no choice but to believe in God like I have to believe in something and you know and I think I was also really lucky to have you know when I was in middle school and I was going to this Christian church I was really lucky to have a, a youth pastor who was some who didn't kind of force how we should view God you know what I mean he was really open about questioning God about um you know why does God do this why does God do that he was really open and that kind of helped me um think about religion in other ways and I think just a lot of the religious people that I've been around have just helped me have given me insight in just like how to view my relationship with God or you know whoever um whoever it is the universe or you know goddess I, I say goddess generally yeah. <laughs> um to think about that in a different way so like for example um when I was first moved to Oregon I met um and every time I mention them everyone says oh aren't they a cult but I met these people who were like Hare Krishna devotees. And I, don't, I don't know what that is, to be honest. <laughs> um, um, so people, yeah, everyone, every time I mention the people who know they are, they always say they're a cult. Um, anyway, but yeah, so like they, so a lot of their beliefs are, are rooted in like Hindu beliefs. So, oh, okay. Yeah, so like they really taught me to like not really focus on, um, like the like the physical aspect of what god is but more just like the the spiritual like soul relationship okay. you know okay and i think also in in that i also i also feel like i love i love studying religion but i don't like religious people <laughs> <laughs> you know that. yeah and so for me like making that distinction is also what helps me get to where i am spiritually today okay I am a little envious that you have such a positive relationship with religion because I don't <laughs> and it you just make it sound so nice mm -hmm. in a way where like wow if only religion had maybe pre been presented to me and like the way that it was presented to you I feel like I would have had a different outlook mm -hmm. on it because I don't consider myself spiritual um, I, I've tried but I, I I can't get myself to consider yeah. myself to be anything other than atheist and sure yeah it's just I don't know it is what it is for me but um anyways uh do you do you have anything else that you want to add on about um religion okay <laughs> all right moving on uh so you are kind of first gen but kind of not first gen yeah let's talk about that sure um <laughs> So the reason why I say or why I identify as that is because so my dad's family, my dad's family lived in California since it was still Mexico. So we have, yeah, so we have pretty deep roots. Whoa. Yeah. Um, so it's pretty, it's pretty crazy. But also like my mom, when was this? So California became um, part of the U.S. in 1848, I believe. Um, mm -hmm. That's around the gold rush time. Yes, exactly. Okay. Exactly. So so I studied history in college. And so from what I heard, I heard that the U.S. knew California had gold, had their eyes on the Southwest for a while, and thought, we're going to take it before Mexico realizes what they have. That's what I heard. Um, 
but anyway yeah so like my family had lived there for so long and my mom she she came here when she was like 20 years old um so in a lot of ways um i feel like in college i was a first generation college student and like my like in my family um our generation i guess is the first to do a lot of things like like be able to go to college and to be able to make decisions for ourselves um so i guess i guess that's how i see myself okay mm -hmm. i'm still kind of blown away by the whole your family was in was in california before <laughs> it was california yeah we're approaching 300 years we're 25 ish 27 years shy yeah like 200 yeah 18 19 oh no i, I can't do math <laughs> i can't do math that's embarrassing 200 <laughs> wow that's cool yeah it's pretty crazy oh wow Yeah, but my my dad's family were like farmers, mm -hmm. so um, we like even though we lived in California for so long, we like his family were always being pushed out of places, you know, like um, gentrification. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. So, um, yeah, like I know that there are like other people who have lived in California for so long, but like were like wealthy and all these things. No, we were like very brown indigenous looking so our family didn't get those privileges speaking of kind of like education how was education with your family was it super like you have to go to school need a's b's or was it more relaxed um so yes it was very much like all i knew after high school was go to school go to school go to school i didn't know what that meant i just knew that i needed to go to school um and my parents were particularly strict with me um my older brother like if i were to get a b minus my parents would be like why you know like why isn't that at least a b plus what you know c's no that's practically failing but my brother would get d's all the time all the time he would miss school he'd get in trouble my younger sister also like it was just me <laughs> um do you think it didn't affect your younger sister because she was a younger one and it didn't affect your brother because he's a boy a boy yes i do <laughs> even though i'm not the oldest in my family You're the I, oldest girl. I am the oldest girl so <laughs> yep so all that pressure is on me i'm also the only one in my family who graduated college um, so there is even higher expectations of me. <laughs> um, I'm always in the middle of our family drama. I'm the one, I'm the peacemaker. <laughs> so even though, like I said, I'm not the oldest in my family, I get a lot of the responsibilities of the, um, of the oldest because my, because my, the oldest is a boy. <laughs> with, with being Mexican and also being um, from the Philippines, like, those cultures they value men mm -hmm. a lot and let them get away with more you know what i mean because mm -hmm. i mom's baby there you go because <laughs> i mean my brother kind of gets away with a lot of stuff but he's also the baby and he was a pretty sick kid for you know a good portion of his life so i feel mm -hmm. like that's where the baby comes from so yeah i felt like i knew you were gonna say what you're gonna say before you said it mm -hmm. <laughs> do you, were you ever like do you consider yourself like the black sheep 
of the family or like the black sheep of the kids? Oh, very much so. <laughs> black sheep um, for the win. Uh-huh. I'm, <laughs> if that wasn't clear, I'm also a middle child. <laughs> so I'm very much of, of the black sheep. I'm the only one in my whole family who's moved out of state. I have a question for you. Ask. What was it like being a middle child? <laughs> it was interesting mm-hmm. because I I felt like I had a I, I feel like I didn't have I felt like I was like the middle child had the middle child syndrome pretty much all my life. Mm-hmm. And then once my sister moved out of the house uh, at 16, I became the eldest child living in the house. So I feel like from the ages of 16 to 22, almost 23, I felt like I was the eldest for, for a while. Um, so it's interesting because I had the middle child syndrome, but then I also ended up having, at for a while, the responsibilities of kind of being the eldest. Mm-hmm. And... I didn't like that. Yeah. <laughs> um, being the middle child, though, it was nice because I felt like I, it was easier for me to kind of slip away into my own personal me time. Um, and I think that's kind of what I ended up doing to get through stuff was to self-isolate. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like it was a little bit easier for me to self-isolate because I had already kind of had that experience slash I don't know mm-hmm. but middle child. what middle child stereotypes fit you uh, Jesus now I can't remember any of them what are they <laughs> um there's like the one who who like the class clown always needs attention there's like the rebellious like wild one there's like quiet I think that I'm a little bit of all yeah. in some situations, you know. Yeah, I would say same. People pleasing is another. <laughs> that is a huge one. Uh-huh. Oh my god, I'm I'm still working on that. Me too. It's it's really hard, but I am still working on that. Um, I guess just feeling like the black sheep. I was very different from most of my family. I'm kind of like the mentally ear queer token person in my family. I'm the one with the mental health <laughs> issues. I'm very open about that. I am between my family, my siblings and I. I'm the one that's queer. Um, unless someone has something to say to me, then in that case, then hey, welcome to the club. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I guess I just being the odd one out, I would say, is mm-hmm. like the main big thing about it. Mm-hmm. Um, independent. Oh, I'm so fucking independent. Mm-hmm. I'm so independent. It's it's kind of ridiculous how hard it is for me to ask people for something, mm-hmm. even the smallest of favors. Like, I literally, when I went over to California recently, my friend said, we have an extra car. If you need it, it's going to be there. Just, it's going to be there. Mm-hmm. I felt bad one day, and I was like, I don't want to borrow their car. They literally told me, you mm-hmm. can borrow the damn vehicle. And I was like, nope, I'm going to order a different vehicle or ride thing. And... And when I came back, he's like, I told him because it was it was a shit show having to wreck that vehicle. He's like, I told you I had the car there for you. I'm like, I know, but I can't accept help. Mm-hmm. I don't want to burden you. I don't want to burden you. There you go. Yeah. Oh, my God. That's another one. Yeah. Not burdening other people. So you're very 
you learn to self soothe yeah because you don't want to have needs because you weren't allowed to have needs uh-huh uh-huh yeah Ooh. Mm. Are we having a therapy session or what? <laughs> you know, sometimes these feel like they almost feel like they're not. They, they don't feel like therapy sessions, but they. It's it's definitely a venting, mm-hmm. and a, and sometimes like things come up that I had no idea I was gonna like think about, and it's mm-hmm. kind of nice. Kind of back to you and your schooling. Mm-hmm. Um, you just mentioned that it took you almost ten years, or yeah. basically almost nine years. To complete your schooling, how was that for you, and like, what struggles did you endure in during that time? Well, the biggest one was money. <laughs> um, but another, the so I think the first struggle that I faced was I just didn't really know what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't have, I didn't really have a lot of people to look up to as far as like, like no one in my family went to college. I was. I wasn't the first one, but like I said, I was the first one to graduate. My brother went to college, but he dropped out. Um, So like applying to colleges, I kind of didn't know what I was doing. Looking at colleges, I didn't know what made them each special. I picked the University of Oregon because I wanted to move out of state (laughs) and um, wanted to stay on the West Coast. That was literally all, that was about all that went into making that decision. But um, what kept me in school was that I just couldn't afford it. Um, I was in community college the first two years, which was nice because it was a lot cheaper. Yeah. When I moved to, um, when I went into the university though, I had no idea how much it costed. And at that point, my parents couldn't afford to sign any loans for me. So all the loans that I took out, they were all under my name. And like, I was like 20, 20 years old applying to loans. I had no idea what I was doing. I, don't, I still don't even know the difference between um, the subsidized, unsubsidized. That was really complicated. I just knew that I needed money and it didn't matter how I got it because my assumption was once I graduate, I'll make it back. <laughs> um, but yeah, so that was the biggest thing. So when I moved to university, I didn't um, I had to live on my own because I couldn't afford to live in the dorms. Mm-hmm. So that meant that I had to get a job. And because I was balancing, uh, like my job always had to be a priority. Yeah. So, because um, I had to pay rent. <laughs> um, so that was like my biggest struggle. I think another thing that I dealt with was imposter syndrome. Oh. Yeah. So like when I went to, to the university and I would meet people and I just had the assumption, silly me, that everybody was like me or there was a lot of people like me I was so wrong <laughs> I would meet people and they'd be uh, like oh like oh I can't stay after class I have to go to work I can't stay after class I have dogs to take care of I have this to do um, so just like I think recognizing and like being aware of other people and their privilege just kind of made me feel like I was not supposed to be there in a lot of ways like people would also use I I would keep my notebook open and there'd be like lists of random words I had never heard in my life because no one I was around went to college one for example and I I always think about this word because it's so weird but um poignant <laughs> oh yeah I first heard that in college and I was like what the heck did you just say <laughs> and how do you even spell that um I don't know that I could spell that. Yeah, so that was another way my imposter syndrome showed or like when I would do a good job in school, like I would get, my, like my teachers would be like, professors would be like, oh, like this was really well done. I would think like 
what did I do to make you believe that I did this right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> because whatever I did, I just got lucky. So not only financially um, and just not knowing what to do in college, just like I didn't know anything. Like I didn't know how to pick classes. I would pick my classes and be like, oh, this one seems cool. I'm going to take it. <laughs> um, I didn't know how to talk to my advisors. I didn't know. I didn't know a lot of things because I had no one to look up to. I had no one to tell me like, oh, this is what you do to make sure you're um, always where you need to be. This is what you do to make sure you're not wasting money. You know, I, had, I didn't have that. The struggles of being first gen. Exactly. And poor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I graduated. Um, and so I'm, for a while, so I graduated at 27 with my bachelor's. And that was also kind of weird because when I would talk to people, they would be like, they would ask me, you know, why, like, why are you 27 graduating? And it was kind of awkward to be like, oh, that's because I couldn't afford <laughs> to go to be a full-time student. I couldn't afford to do this and that. And so like, that was like awkward too. But, um, and for, yeah, for a while I did feel kind of self-conscious about it. <laughs> Cause like, it's weird, you know, I'm starting my life at 27, but then I guess I just realized that like, it didn't matter because I finished and like, like no matter what I did, I still push through it so. amen <laughs> the, i really want to talk a little bit into that because i mm -hmm. literally actually because mm -hmm. i took two years off i didn't go to school right away i didn't know what I, I wanted to do so i didn't to me i'm like i feel like i'm gonna be wasting my time if i go mm -hmm. when i don't know what to do if i don't know what i'm gonna do and that was a very one of the smartest decisions i could have ever made as a, as a teenager really oh, um but what i wanted to kind of go off of with that is I've never liked that, that like the whole um, being too old mm -hmm. or like being at this age and completing this, like be making age a big factor of it, it always bothered me. And I think it started with me not going to school right away. And the social expectations. The social expectations. Uh, my dad didn't want me to not go to school. He was afraid that I was going to not go back. And I, I told people around me, I was like, I want to go back, so I'm going to go back. Mm -hmm. And if I don't go back now, then I don't go back now. And maybe I'll go back later or at a different yeah. time. So it just kind of bothered me that that was such a thing that people told me when I said I'm not going to school right away. People kept telling me, oh, you're never going to go back then. Mm -hmm. Don't mm -hmm. tell me how to live my life. Don't tell me what I am or not going to do kind of thing. And so that bothered me. And so when I went into school, during those two years when I wasn't in school, I felt very like I wasn't accomplishing anything mm -hmm. and that my that affected how I saw myself because I was very um I started getting tattoos and I was you know how I look how I look and so it made me feel like other people were judging me even harder for not doing xyz things mm -hmm. and so that so that really started to bother me and I started feeling like I was missing out and I should have been you know I should have been experiencing this or I should have been doing that. I could have been doing this. And and then eventually as I was going through school, I was like, no, fuck that. Mm -hmm. Especially because the class that I was in, people were there of all different ages, mm -hmm. all sorts of ages. I had a friend in my class who was 10 years older than me. Mm -hmm. And um, my teacher, I think it also kind of stuck with me, the whole fuck what age you go to school to. Like what, fuck the age that you go to school because you're going. Mm -hmm. The age doesn't matter. 
My teacher didn't go into that school until she was sometime in her 30s. And she didn't care. I don't remember if she ever did care, but ultimately she didn't care. Mm -hmm. And I really commended her for that because that that is something that I feel like in her position, I would have struggled with a little bit, but at the same time, feel like I would have gotten to that same point that she did if I was ever at that age in vet school. Because ultimately she's like, I still, I still got my degree. Yeah. No matter this age, I still got my degree. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think that's where I wanted to go with that. Um, but I did, um, what I do want to go into a little bit is you mentioned imposter syndrome. Uh-huh. Do you feel like that ever affected your, your ethnic identity? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> um, absolutely. Because I don't speak Spanish. Um, and that, I don't speak Spanish. I don't speak any other language than English. Either. Yeah. I don't, I just speak English. <laughs> and, um. So not being able to relate to other people in that way or like just being like half or like not having like not calling my grandparents abuela or, you know, little things like that. It did make me feel like, you know, like I mentioned earlier, like and I feel like that's why I would like in my own head, like I said this to the other to someone the other day, too, like when I do speak Spanish from people who are like like they spoke Spanish their whole life, I feel sometimes I get insecure about like over pronunciation pronunciating you know like rolling my r's or like things like that because i'm just like what if i do it too much and it sounds weird or what if i'm not actually as good as i think i am you know and like um just things like that or um you know like we talked about like the way that we look or the things that i like you know it's it it has in me feel like oh like is it weird that i like this like it, like, should I not be interested in, in like, rock music or whatever it is? You know, should I not be? Especially because, like, we're both, like, Latinas. And so, like, having tat- visible tattoos, I feel like there's this, like, there is this, like... Stigma? Like, yeah, the stigma of, like, oh, are you, like, a gangster? Like, do you do drugs? Like, all this stuff. So, like, I think just all together, like, a lot... I did have a lot of imposter syndrome growing up. Not as much... So now I feel like I'm a lot more comfortable in who I am now, yeah. but definitely when I was growing up. Did you? Did imposter syndrome ever affect my identity? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I, and it kind of goes back to the whole, I don't look Mexican enough mm-hmm. kind of thing. Or in my head, I never looked Mexican enough, which other people will tell me, like, I could tell right away that you are from Latin America. Mm-hmm. And... It, some people can tell right away. Some people can't at all. And I, what bo- not bothers me, but people don't talk to me in Spanish. Mm-hmm. They don't approach me talking to me in Spanish. They think that I only speak English. Okay. And my own people will come up to me speaking English. And so that really affected me in the way that I perceive myself. And, and so I kind of just... I perceive... I perceived myself as white for the very longest time in a way that I didn't want to be. Mm-hmm. Um, because it was thrown at you. It was thrown at me. It's like this is automatically what people perceive me as. And I'm I'm getting more comfortable with that now because I, as I realize, like, um, I've only come to realize that I'm non-binary. Well, it's only been a couple of months. And so I realize that society will always see me as a woman because I grew up 
and I was raised a woman and I am very feminine presenting. So that in that sense, I get that and I'm not gonna waste my energy on it. Same thing with with now, like people, most people see me as just a regular old Caucasian person and I'm not gonna waste my energy trying to fight that. Like whenever I go to restaurants, people speak to me in English, like, um, hello, how are you? Like a, like a Mexican restaurant. And I was like, hola, buenas tardes, como estas? Like, and I start speaking in Spanish, you know? I I try not to let that get to me and to stop me from being who I actually am. And it's been, it's been, it's, 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 it's a lot easier for me to say that because it's been a struggle to be comfortable in my own skin in that aspect and a whole bunch of different aspects but in that aspect it's it's been a while does that make sense mm -hmm. okay what are your preferred pronouns they them okay. but again it kind of goes with the whole the world perceives me as a woman so i'm not gonna i don't i'm trying to pick and choose my my battles and that's a that's a battle that i am okay not fighting okay in mm -hmm. a sense and then in spanish though it's they she the the spanish version ella, ella. also it just feels like it's natural and suits me mm -hmm. whereas they them feels like it suits me in english okay so yeah mm -hmm. there you go okay you know what i want to go back to something you mentioned okay. is you said that your dad and his generation weren't taught spanish mm -hmm. because they went to mexican schools that violently forced them to assimilate yes i'm very curious to know a little bit more about that because I feel like I feel like I'm gonna learn a lot okay. and also be taken aback by what you're gonna say. So yeah, so my so my grandparents, um, that's my dad's parents and like all of everyone, all of like their siblings, they went to a school that. Um, so like I mentioned, so there's like an actual history of segregation in like Los Angeles, and, like the greater LA area. Um, so that's so, and they would place um, Mexicans in a Mexican school, um, and what they would do is that they would teach them very, um, and I'm using air quotes, Mexican things. So like, okay. yeah. So some um, sometimes they would separate the classes by gender, and they would teach the girls very. Um, like domestic labor type things. The boys, they would think, uh, they would take, they would teach them, um, you know, boy Mexican things like um, working with their hands, handyman stuff. Um, so that was very common in that time. And um, it was also really common that, um, that these schools would kind of push out um, like the Mexican students into the workforce a lot sooner. So like there was not a priority on teaching Mexicans anything else but what society thought that they should do, right? And so here's a little history lesson. So in 1946, I believe, um, there was a court case, um, Westminster versus, I can't remember the Mendez, I think. And so what happened with that is that because the schools were so very segregated like that, that court case kind of challenged those the segregation laws. So that just wasn't legally, um, they weren't legally allowed to segregate them and do that, mm -hmm. but like it still happened, right? So like with my family particularly, oh, and I also wanna mention that, like so that court case set the precedent for Brown versus Board in 1955. Oh, wow. Yeah, 
So, um, but as a result, what ended up happening is that there was still segregation and like segregation just happened in other ways, right? Yeah. So like they redefined school zones in some areas, in some areas, they kind of influenced Mexicans to live within those school zones. And that's one thing that happened like with my family. So like my family lived around other like farm working Mexicans um, and things like that. So when they went to schools, um, they spoke Spanish in the home, but if they spoke Spanish at school, they like my, my great aunt, my, my grandpa died. So I didn't really hear a lot of his experiences my great aunt told me that um, she, like, if she was caught speaking Spanish, she would literally be put in the corner with a done tap. Oh my god! And like, would feel so humiliated. So there were there were things like that. I've also heard stories of like people actually being hit with like a ruler on the hand, things like that. Mm -hmm. That actually happened to my mom. When oh she really? Went to for school. speaking Spanish? No. Um, in 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 Mexico, when they were in school, they did that. Oh. But this was in the like 70s in uh -huh. Mexico so oh uh -huh. 70s. Yeah. yeah this is like the 70s yeah late 70s early 80s oh wow late 70s. It's, pretty, it's still pretty recent. Yeah. late 70s yeah stuff. so my grandparents this is like I, I want to say like the 50s early 50s um but yeah so that's what happened to them and so they would be like even now um like my grandparents like I have one living grandparent. She doesn't speak Spanish to me at all. If she does speak Spanish in front of me, it's because someone else spoke Spanish to her. Mm. Um, my my great aunt, she doesn't speak Spanish at all. Like she'll she'll say some words in Spanish, like oh, it's clear that you can speak it, but she doesn't speak Spanish to us. And like as a result, like they didn't teach anyone. Like my dad didn't speak Spanish. Um, my aunt, they don't know Spanish at all. And so that's just kind of typical, like a lot of people in my family, especially like my age, they, we don't speak Spanish because because um, because of my grandparents, like what they went through um, being forced to assimilate into like American culture, even though they'd lived there since before, you know, America was even a thing. Mm hmm. To all the motherfuckers out there that call people a no sabo kid. I want to say some mean things, but I'm not going to. Yeah. Um, the reason... I always knew that some people didn't speak Spanish because they just... It's like a, a survival thing. But I, yeah. I, I didn't fully realize the extent of it until I started talking with people and hearing their stories as to why their parents or um, they themselves don't speak a kind of thing. Uh -huh. And so hearing this, it makes me mad because like that's that's something that you don't hear about in textbooks. Mm -hmm. And it mm -hmm. really, yeah. really is problematic that we don't yeah. share this knowledge. And it also makes me upset because the, in the video, people were calling me a Nosavo kid. Even though my Spanish is not bad, yeah. I just have an accent, but it's not bad. And people were calling me a Nosavo kid. And so that's why it bothered me, too, because I, I like of some history that I knew. So now hearing this, I'm just like the ignorance that that Latinos have, mm -hmm. our very own people, that the ignorance that they have, that they're continuing to perpetuate this this terrible stigma, mm -hmm. you know? And like as you were saying, like um, feeling like embarrassed and all this, and like 
I never really would say anything, but at the same time, I wouldn't defend other people who were trying to speak Spanish. I just mm -hmm. kind of was there. And now I'm trying to make more of a habit and make it more um, a regular thing that if someone gives anyone shit for not speaking another language, well, I'm mean, like, I, I'm trying to like speak up about it because I'm like, it's not cool, man. Yeah. It's just not cool. Um, Oh wow. So yeah. as you were mentioning something about like school zones and stuff, you made me think, is this keeping the poor people poor? Is this kind of like what ended up happening? And, and is that what their kind of goal was with the segregation? Do you know? I would assume so. Um, I mean, what other goal would they have, you know, than just to keep people in their place, right? Like, yeah. oh, you know, and, and I mean, like, I feel like some of the, like, there are lingering thoughts and feelings like from that generation that bleed into now right like i feel like when i went to university i didn't really see a lot of like other like latinos or other um POCs. Mm -hmm. yeah it was like mostly white people or like people who like were just privileged you know so um, i do feel like it happened on purpose um damn Alright, now we're gonna go. Dun, dun, dun. Time for the big one. What is it? Mental illness. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> On a scale of 1 to 10, how. No, I'm just kidding. How mentally um, ill are you? How mentally ill are you? Uh, I am a whopping. Right now or overall? <laughs> right now or overall? Yeah, so. That is the reason I like to end on it is because I am a big proponent on mental health and advocating mm -hmm. for it. Um, I feel like it's not only in just society in general, but in a lot of like minority cultures, mental illness is not discussed enough. Mm -hmm. And it's, if it is, it's discussed in a unproductive, un unencouraging kind of way mm -hmm. and so that's why I wanted to be able to talk about it so that we can normalize this conversation pretty yeah. much and so yeah so whatever you're comfortable with sharing about your mental illness journey and how growing up how you did like with the cultures and how that affected you and your mental illness if it did affect it yeah so um where should you start <laughs> <laughs> wherever you'd like yeah. <laughs> um okay well so I definitely am mentally ill. So we'll start there. <laughs> um, I should be taking antidepressants and other things, but I currently am not um, for no other reason than I have no idea. So having this conversation makes me re realize that I probably should be doing things to help myself. Um, but I, so I struggle with depression and anxiety. Um, as when I was a kid, um, I, yeah, I've always, I've always had like signs of mental illness, um, and my parents. So the first time I told my parents, like, oh yeah, I see, I first of all see a therapist and also take antidepressants. My dad was like, why do you do that? Like, do you need it? He's like, just, just go exercise, just eat better, just um, take a walk, or you know what I mean, the most simple things. And I'm like, dad, like. Like, it's just, it's more than that. Like, sometimes I wake up and I'm just like, why do I want to cry? Like, I literally just want, I, I just want to cry and I can't explain it. 
And also like dad, maybe you should go to therapy too <laughs> because I recognize a lot of the same things in myself and you. <laughs> but stronger because you're so against <laughs> taking care of yourself, you know? Um, but I do think these conversations need to be normalized because, because I feel like there's a huge stigma around mental illness. And um, I feel, I feel too that like within our communities, like there's this idea that like, you know, like mental illness, like that's a white people thing. You know what I mean? Do you feel like that too? And how did your parents react when you first told them that you were taking medication to help your mental illness? <laughs> um, that's rude, assuming that I am on medication. <clears throat> I'm taking five. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned um, Let's see. Wow, the interviewer becomes the interviewee. Uh -huh. um, not like that. Okay. <laughs> they, and <laughs> they, I isolated myself a lot, and so they kind of just got like they let me be and we ended up having a conversation about this one time and it was pretty much like it that I didn't want to be approached or talked to so they did what it seemed like I wanted or I needed and was to be left alone so that was a lot of um, they knew that I was going through stuff but we didn't really talk about it and it wasn't because they don't want to talk about it, but it was because I didn't talk about it. I was always a very quiet child, um, reserved. I mean, I, I still am to this day. And so it, it's kind of funny doing this podcast because I have revealed more about myself than I have in, in a short amount of time than I have in like in a, really, <laughs> in a while. So um, I'm normally not this open. Kind of thing, um, but I I worked on not being this closed off because I've I've noticed how detrimental it can be. Um, so in the beginning, I was very closed That's your off. Middle child. middle child syndrome. There you go. I found a way to self soothe, and that was to be myself. And it wasn't always a healthy way, but my parents just kind of let me be. But they they also did try to let me know that they were there, um, and I. I remember the first time when I wanted to tell my my parents that I was depressed, I was, I, I hesitated because I thought they were going to be embarrassed, not embarrassed, sorry, I thought they were going to be um, disappointed in me. And I was so, like, so afraid of that that I didn't say it until I basically had like a mini breakdown, mental breakdown at my aunt's house and then I told her. And then she told my dad. So I never directly told my dad that I was going through something. And um, my dad basically made an appointment to see a psychiatrist and took me. That's how he responded. And he's always, my parents have always been there. Whether they vocalize it or not, they are always, and they're religious. So they're always praying like for my mental health and all that. And the way that they asked me, if my mom doesn't really is similar to me where we don't talk about it mm -hmm. but we like we know that we're going through something and then my dad he'll ask but he asks in a very like um oh have you gone to therapy um are you taking your medication that's like cute. <laughs> yeah like how how is your your issue going you know you good like he he'll check up on me like that mm -hmm. and that's kind of like the extent of the conversations 
we've had a couple of deeper conversations, but it just doesn't really get to that. It also doesn't help that we live far away from each other. We're there in Idaho still. So that's hard. And in terms of medications, they were, they're all for it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's one of the reasons why, because I didn't realize how, how much people were against or not for were against or hesitant with medications. I didn't realize that until I started talking to people more and more mm-hmm. and not and hearing them actually talk about it and not just, oh yeah, I'm not on medications and leaving it like that. Like hearing people talk about it more has made me realize that I've always been pretty open to medications, but I think it's because the first time I took it when I was 16, I didn't have an opinion on it. Mm-hmm. And it was like, I, I was feeling sad I was feeling sad. Um, my dad took me to see a psychiatrist and they prescribed me medications. And I was like, okay, you want me to take these? I'll take them. And, but I think it's also a little bit different with my parents because my dad takes medication on a regular basis for his, um, his is for a physical illness. So I, I don't know. I think my dad has always been like in and out of, um, doctor's appointments and I've always been a translator for him in and out of doctor's appointments so I think for me medical stuff just became normalized and I think that's why I never hesitated with medications as much and I think that's why my parents were so for it and also my mom was going through her own stuff so she was she had been on medications before so I think the reason it wasn't difficult was because there was already something going on in the family. So when I had started having my issues, it wasn't, I don't know, new, I guess. So I feel very fortunate in my own experience when it comes to mental health, because I know that not a lot of people had the same kind of support that that my parents have been able to give me, because I have a cousin who would like, their parents would be like, oh, get up. What do you mean you're feeling depressed? Get mm-hmm. up, go do this, that. And, it's all in your head. And I don't know if they ever said that specifically, but they definitely didn't. My, my cousin definitely did not have the support that I did. In and, and things are better now that I'm aware of, but to be a teenager and to have someone be like, what do you mean you're depressed? get up, get out of bed, just get up. Mm-hmm. I can't imagine what that would do to me mm-hmm. if I had that experience. So I feel very fortunate in in my own because it was, it wasn't openly discussed, but it was supported if I needed it kind of thing. Like my parents have taken me, or like my dad has taken me to the hospital one time. Like when I had a really bad mental breakdown, he took me to the hospital and he asked me like I couldn't I couldn't speak I remember what happened I like it was like one of the it was kind of scary because I I was I was severely dissociating and the next thing I knew I was like looking in the mirror in the bathroom the next thing I knew I was on my knees on the floor like I don't oh remember gosh. falling so floor and I was so dissociated and um I was in my early 20s and I don't remember calling for my mom but my mom came and she came into the bathroom and I just like hugged her and she's like like what's wrong like what's going on and I couldn't speak I couldn't just say that I needed help like I needed help like I was just not doing well and my dad said the words like do you need to go to the hospital like do you want to go to the hospital and I was I just nodded like said yeah 
and boom, we're on our way to the hospital. We're going there, and I, I just stayed overnight for observation and shit, but I can say that I'm fortunate enough to have my parents that reacted like that because I know it's not the case for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, mental illness, anything that you want to add to to that? Um, uh, I will say also, so the reason why I had to reschedule our first interview. <laughs> oh, you didn't have to like, you don't have to tell me if you don't want no, to. No, I'm, okay. I was, yeah. The, the reason why is because I was just having like that week. I was, I just kept waking up being like, I am so sad. I'm so sad and I don't know what's going on. And so, um, yeah, I was just really struggling. And it's like, the thing is with mental illness is that like sometimes there, sometimes something will trigger something else and you're just like okay like this makes sense Mm -hmm. and sometimes you're just in a mood and you're just like i don't know what to do and i don't know what it is and you're almost gaslighting yourself and you're like am i really that upset Mm -hmm. like am i really that sad or am i really that anxious like what is it you know and i think that like i think it's just really important to prioritize rest and to um sometimes just be honest with yourself and check in with yourself yeah Speaking of that, mm-hmm. let's talk to positivity. What yeah. do you like to do to help um, for some self-care or, or what do you do that are healthy coping mechanisms? Am I allowed to say smoke weed? <laughs> Fuck yeah. <laughs> okay, well that's definitely my first go-to. Damn, I should have brought something. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so definitely smoke weed, but if you're the kind of person who gets anxious, okay, definitely avoid that um but other than that um i just tried i watch a lot of um trash reality tv (laughs) um or um you know if i'm having a bad day sometimes it's like the little things like getting your treating yourself to a really nice meal you know if it's like a rainy day like but you know like so good or, or like a little drink just like reminding yourself that like you are important like you are special like even if that is just to yourself or like you know giving yourself a little self-love or some things like that you know um it is hard for me to open up to people and be like hey like i am sad today can you like spend time with me i wish i was better about that but i think that goes back to myself just like um feeling like well i sometimes i feel like I don't want to make someone else sad just because I'm sad. You know what I mean? Like, if I tell you, like, hey, like, I'm sad. Can you be here for me? I don't want them to take on that responsibility and be like, well, like, I have to make them feel better. But that's me. Like, I know that, like, that is my own, like, trauma response, I guess. You know what I mean? Yeah. Or, like, that's probably, like, my mental illness reminding myself or telling myself that, like, no, like, you're not worthy of someone else to take care of you, you know? And so I think that... I wish I was better at doing that, opening up and being like, hey, I need you, or like, hey, I need this from you. It's something I'm still working on. So I'm glad that we are talking about this, but um, those are a few things that I do. What do you do? I like to get tattoos. Oh, that too. (laughs) (laughs) I've been, I, yeah, I like to get tattoos. Um, That's kind of like the only splurge thing that I have that I actually spend the most money on is is getting inked. Um, but what I like to do is I need a lot of time to recharge my battery. So I, I tend to just relax. I'll smoke, sit in front of my TV, watch shows. Yeah. That's how I like to re, re, um, 
recharge my battery. Um, but in terms of like other things that I do for my mental health is um, besides getting inked, <laughs> I like to listen to music. I'm also like a big podcast person and I listen, I listen to a lot of true crime, which isn't always like the best thing. <laughs> probably because it gets me a little nervous sometimes when I'm listening to things but it's it's very entertaining for me so I like to do that um I'm not great at doing things for myself so that's something that I'm trying to get better at um I like to be out in nature and it's I don't do it enough but that's one thing that I that I have done before to help me and it sucks because we're in the fucking Pacific Northwest. Like, literally, evergreen trees are all around us. So beautiful. And it make, being out makes me super happy like this. So I just need to be able to get out of my place and do that. Um, I didn't prepare myself for this question. <laughs> I wasn't prepared to be asked questions. <laughs> um, I don't read enough. But that's something that I still want to be able to, like, these are not the what ifs. These are the what I do's. Um, I'll journal. I haven't done it in a while because I've been super busy. And usually when I'm in a pretty good, consistent, happy mood, I don't write in my journal as often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I definitely do journal. It really, really does help me. Um, I go to therapy. That's something that I do for myself, which yeah. is something that I just realized is a thing that you can do for yourself. Um, I take my medications, or I try my very best to take them on time because I was struggling a, a while ago, a couple like uh, a month ago. I was struggling to take my meds on time, and I had I like there was like two weeks where I had taken them only like three times. And I was talking to my therapist about this, and she goes, "Why are you sabotaging yourself?" And I didn't even get a chance to kind of defend myself because she she cut me off. She's like why are you sabotaging yourself? I was like, did you get mad at her? <laughs> no, I was like, damn it, you called me out. Because what I was thinking and what I wanted to say, I was like, there's literally no good reason for me to not have taken my medications. And it just kind of clicked in my head, like I'm sabotaging myself by not taking my medications. Something that's going to help me. And I'm, oopsies, I missed it. Like, mm-hmm. why am I sabotaging myself? So it's actually a, a mindset that I've, kind of put in my head because as you know with imposter syndrome we sabotage ourselves a lot we we gaslight ourselves a lot and so i i have that thought in my head every once in a while i'm like are you sabotaging yourself because damn i'm good at that i am so good at that so trying not to sabotage myself is is another thing or oh i did write something because you're a history major Mm -hmm. are there any history facts regarding like Latin communities or just more like Latin American facts that you want to share? Because normally I, I share facts about um, like the, the state and Mexico that you're from or like the country that you're from. But I feel like you being a history major, I think you should take this one. Oh, okay. <laughs> Anything random, fun? Let's see. Okay, so a fun Latin American fact. Or any facts that you ended up learning that you'd like to share? Like one thing that like really stood with me. Yeah. Um. So okay. So <laughs> my my thesis 
is one that I think was just so inspirational to myself. Mm -hmm. um, so what I wrote about is, um, so yeah, so what I wrote about was the ways in which um, enslaved people use music as a way to free themselves. And to me, I think that that's such a beautiful, I know it has not, it's not particularly like Latin um, related, but I think that it's just so beautiful how, and hold on, wait, do I want to say that it's beautiful? Um, I would say that, it's, yeah, I think it's so inspiring that, um, that people were able to use like the little agency that they had to kind of, they almost tricked people into um, freeing them. So for so what I mean by that is um, in a lot of their spiritual songs that they would sing out loud, there were all of these like codified messages, right? So they would sing a song and it would be like, uh, it would they were all like really religious songs that their slave masters taught them. So they were using everything that they taught them against them. Um, so like they would sing songs like, um, um, I can't remember exactly which songs, but nothing's coming up right now. But they would sing a song about, about like being in the water, right? Yeah. And they would sing that song, and that would mean get in the water because there are dog catchers coming by. So hide yourself, hide your scent, right? And if a white person were to hear that, they wouldn't be thinking, oh, people are hiding. They would be thinking someone is singing a beautiful um, spiritual song. They're singing about God, you know? Yeah. And I think that's so interesting. Like, it's, it's like, don't get me wrong like it's really tragic to think people were kidnapped and they had to do this but like um and there are other examples of like um universities who had um enslaved choir people who were able to sing in front of sing to rich white people and collect donations from them like they would go around collecting money singing these codified songs they had no idea what they were actually saying they're practically speaking a different language right to them you know and they were mm -hmm. able to like like use that influence um, and be able to connect with them, right? So they would, so these white people would actually feel sympathy in seeing these enslaved people singing about God and ask themselves, is this okay for me as a Christian to watch this? You know what I mean? Like, and I think that like, to me, what I found was so inspiring in that is just that it really makes you think about how like, no matter what, like the most basic human need is like to be, Free and to feel liberated so I think it's so innate that people want to connect and people want to um, free themselves and build community in doing so and I think that like for me like like right now especially with everything that's going on right now like I consider myself a very optimistic person I almost feel like I'm I can sense that <laughs> I almost feel like I'm radically optimistic because I feel I firmly believe that that um, human nature is to care about each other and I think however we get back to that is when we can figure out how to dismantle all of these systems that are working against us we just have to figure out we have to break the barrier of what's disconnecting us and so I think, um, and I think, you know, and that's the thing about history is that like people, like when you read history, it's so sad. Like there are a lot of things that I'm just like, there are a lot of images that I've seen that I'm just like, I can't even stomach that. Or I've read, I've read things about 
people and I'm like I need I literally need a day off because this is so depressing but like I said um I think one thing studying people has taught me is that when it comes down to it we we are going to do what we have to and you know like I said we just need to figure out how it is we are going to unify us so in bringing it back to like Latin America um it's I feel like there are, we have so much in common like we have if we if only we were able to recognize what it is we have in common and what it is that we need from each other I feel like we can unify ourselves you know we have people who are like oh like I'm from Argentina like you're from Mexico like we're different like in reality we have a lot of similarities you know and we have a lot of things that we can benefit from each other and I wish that that was something that we could embrace more. Wow. <laughs> that was really beautifully said. Thanks. Really well said. And oh, yeah, that's one of the things that I really, really love about having to have these conversations with people is not only getting to experience like the really great things that in like perceptions, perspectives that other people have. But I get to relive it again when I'm like going through this and listening mm-hmm. to it again, editing it, and then I. The best part is being able to publish it because then other people can hear these words. And, I'm so nervous for And hopefully, <laughs> I I know I think it's great because there's a lot of great things that people have to say, and and you know, you you said a lot of great things too. So I I think it's 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 a way to connect us, mm-hmm. and I think that's kind of my way of connecting not just like the latin american community but other cultures as well and other just different backgrounds um you have a black lives matter pin and i saw Uh, that uh and i'm like okay cool this person's cool (laughs) (laughs) but not only that as you're talking about the music i I took a music class in college because it fit under the curriculum of what i needed or something and what i ended up learning was pretty much that all of music originates from Africa mm-hmm. in one way or another a lot of Mexican music mm-hmm. too so cumbia cumbia mm-hmm. rock and roll mm-hmm. blues like basically oh, yeah. a lot of shout out to black guys mm-hmm. we there's so many things that not only black people but a lot of POCs have done for this for, for the world for this country that's you saying that little piece of history, I felt like it was like a little mm-hmm. shout out. I'm like, yeah, I like that. All right, that was your fun fact of the <laughs> of the day. Um, well then, um, any shout outs that you want to do? Any social media that you want to be like a um to other people? <laughs> any shout outs to other people? If you want to put your socials or anything like that, it's whatever you want. Any shout outs? Um, shout out to everyone listening. I hope you like what I have to say. <laughs> Um, and also to you for putting this together. Um, I guess if you want to hear more about my journey, I don't really post a lot on social media, but if you want to follow me, um, my Instagram is Kanjari, that's C-A-N-N-J-A-R-I. <laughs> I guess we'll find out. I'm going to check. Alrighty, well, this has been a very lovely conversation. I'm so glad we were able to have this work this but yeah, is it? Is it? Yeah, just get it. <laughs> All right, the handle is correct. Um, well, thank you so much for being on here. I really appreciated hearing your side of 
my words are so fucking hard right now. <laughs> uh-huh. Thank you for being on here. I uh, appreciate your time. Um, thank you for dealing with my barking dog that wants to attack. Um, and yeah. So to everyone listening, thank you. And until next time. And happy Latina Heritage Month. I hope every single one of you ends up having a beautiful month.